This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hi, this is Dan Nexon. Welcome to the first New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy podcast of 2013. This episode features one of my favorite contemporary fantasy writers, Felix Gilman. Felix is the author of Thunderer, Gears of the City, and The Half-Made World. The sequel to The Half-Made World, The Rise of Ransom City, was published in November 2012 and is the subject of our discussion. I hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Dan Nexon, and I'm speaking to Felix Gilman. Felix, are you there? I'm there. Hi. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this recording today. No problem. I'm, I'm ha- happy to be here. So I'm always curious about authors themselves, which is why I always begin by asking them to tell us a bit about themselves, and I'm going to ask you the same thing. Um, okay. Uh, and I, I never quite know how to answer that question. Um, well, why don't I be a little bit more... I'll press you then. How, so how, let's start with how did you get into writing? Um, I I'm, was one of those children who... who um, I, I was a, a bookish child, um, which is not surprising. Um, uh, and I used to spend a lot of time as a child sort of writing stories of various kinds. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I would, if I, if I read something I liked, I, I, I would write great, long, unreadable pastiches of it. And I had notebooks of, of stuff that I, I wrote in and I, I used to um, the statute of limitations has expired so I can say that when I was a, a very small child I, I used to have a, a big pile of, of those nice little sort of notebook things that I nicked from school and uh, and wrote in um, and I don't have any of that stuff anymore uh, because it was all thrown out um, but you know, so I, I used to do that a lot as a child, and, and um, then I, I, uh, I suppose I, I stopped writing for, for a long time um, as a, a young adult. Um, but I, I, I always thought of it as something that I, I 
I wanted to do, something that I would do, um, you know, sooner or later I, I, I would buckle down and, and write a book. Uh, and I, I, I started various things, and, and some of which sort of worked out better than others, but, but none of which ever really got, got finished. Um, and I had, uh, back in 2006, uh, I, I had a, a period where I had um, uh, some time between jobs, and um, and I had a, a a job in the future in a few months that, that was fixed, and, and I, I had no job currently, and I had some savings, and uh, you know it, it, it was a time when I could not possibly have been in a better position to actually sit down and write something if I was ever going to write something and stop talking about it, uh, and, and no possible excuse for not actually battling down and, and doing it. Um, so I did, and I, and I, I wrote uh, in, in a few months the what turned into the first draft of my first book, Thunderer, um, though it went through many significant subsequent iterations and, and revisions, but, but that was um, yeah, that, that was when I sat down and actually wrote something, and, and I, I did so just with a sort of, um, you know, re really with, with the attitude that this was, um, I would just see what happened. I, I, I would sit down and, and see if I actually was capable of the, uh, the, the, the whatever it is that is required to sit down and start writing something um, that you know is still going to be there uncompleted 400 pages later and, and, and that you, you have to, to keep churning through for a very long time. Um, which is something that's on my mind right now because I've just finished a, a draft of a, a thing um, and I've just handed that final draft to my editor, and I'm now sitting down thinking about starting the next thing. And I have an outline, um, but I'm now trying to push myself to 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 get back over the the, the resistance to actually sitting down and writing the first page with that awful knowledge that you've got all those hundreds of empty pages sitting in front of you. Um, and it is every time an, an, an act of will. Um, so anyway, so, so that, that was how I started. Um, I started writing, and, um, and and that first book ended up getting published, and then uh, the subsequent books uh, were also published. Let's get into the um, meat of your books in a few minutes, but I am curious. You are a transatlantic transplant, is that correct? That's correct. Um, I've, I've lived in the States for a long time now, um, uh, since 98, I think. Um, so I, I mean, I've lived here for a very long time. Um, and, uh, and I moved here, uh, well, um, a, a few years, a couple of years after, after graduating university. Um, my, my wife is a, a New Yorker, so I've lived in, um, well, I've lived in New York and in Boston and DC and various places. 
So I know from uh, earlier pre-conversations that you are not a full-time writer, that you also hold down a day job, and I can't imagine how difficult that must be to, on the one hand, uh, work in a non-authorial professional context, but also then to produce uh, these very um, dense, thoughtful books that you do. Um, thank you. Um, and, and yes, it is, it is difficult. Um, what's actually difficult um, is, is not so much the writing, because it, uh, I, I, I write quickly and I can find time to do the writing um, because it, it, it exercises a different part of the brain from real world day job work. Um, what is tremendously difficult is uh, it, it, it's all the ancillary stuff. Um, you know, everybody says if, if you're a, a writer these days, you have to expect to promote your work yourself, uh, and it is of course completely true. And that sort of, of you know, all, all, all those other little tasks that go along with it, but those little tasks use the same part of the brain as one's actual job. So when you, you mean things like the, the kind of self-promotion that's become expected of authors, like maintaining a website, possibly having a blog, being on Twitter? Yeah, well, I can do Twitter. I can do Twitter because that also uses a different part of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to maintain regular blog output is impossible. Um, and trying to do things like, uh, uh, um, any, you may have noticed, anybody can see that I have not updated my blog in six months, and prior to that, I think I let it sit for about a year, um, and, uh, and the website needs work. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing, it's, it's the, um, you talking to people about sort of trying to get reviews and blurbs and things, which, um, which is, uh, which is difficult to do. Um, but I mean, it's, it's difficult to do for everybody. Um, I think day job or otherwise it is difficult to do because most authors are by their nature, uh, sedentary shut-ins and, you know, <laughs> I mean, Writing a book selects very heavily for wanting to sit in the room, not talking to anybody for six hours at a time. Um, you know, that's not necessarily the best skill working yourself. So, yeah, it's funny. The more people I talk to, the more I feel like there's a, a kind of kinship between the academic lifestyle and the uh, writing lifestyle, except for that we uh, get a steady salary for doing what we're doing. Um, so. I do want to ask you before we, as I've said before we get into the meat of things, why fantastic fiction? Um, was that just sort of always your love of what you wanted to do, and so when you always thought about being a writer, it was always going to be fantastic fiction, or is there a particular draw for you of writing uh, in imaginary worlds or with major counterfactuals or things that, that make your writing, your worlds, your novels, weird and different from, say, quote-unquote, literary fiction? Um, I'll, I'll, on one level, the answer to that is just uh, when I, I started writing the first book, that was, that was what came out. Um, and uh, 
and, and that really wasn't on some level a very sort of experimental let's see what happens sort of a thing. Um, and uh, and I, I think I've sort of been playing catch up ever since. Um, on on another level, I I I I I, I like fantastic or, or strange fiction. Um, I, I and, and I like a lot of fiction that sort of that, that blurs the lines between the literary and the fantastic. Um, uh, I'm not uh, a I'm, I'm not a, a huge reader of squarely, centrally core genre fantastic fiction. Um, though you know, I, I like Tolkien. Um, well, that blurring of the line really does, I think, describe and animate, as I read it, a lot of your work. Your first series, as you mentioned, began with Thunderer, and that was a duology um, with. Gears of the City as the second book, is that correct? That is correct. And in Thunderer, um, it seems, well, I was I was sort of thinking back as I was preparing for the interview, and it seems like there's a really strong connection in some respects between works like Thunderer and the work we're going to talk about today, The Rise of Ransom City, insofar as these are all works that express a preference for shifting and uncertain worlds, where place is really a, a crucial character in the story. Um, is that a kind of idiom you like to play with? Um, it, it just sort of happen that way? Um, no, that, that, that's definitely... Um, I, I like uncertainty. I like strangeness. I, I, um, what, what, what I, I, I like the fantastic in the sense of um, what 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 feels genuinely fantastic or strange, which, which has to have a, an element of of uncertainty, of surprise, of, of not being on top of it, um, of not quite knowing how it works or, or, or why. Otherwise, it it doesn't really feel the um, it doesn't feel magical or, or, or fantastic or, or weird. Um, so I I I, I, I like that. Um, and I, on some level, I, I just think it's it's realistic. Um, my actual lived experience of the world is that it's full of things that I, I don't understand and that don't make sense to me and that I only have tiny partial glimpses of. Um, um, and, you know, and I, I'm a well-informed person who reads the newspapers and, and yet I don't actually know what's going on most of the time or I, I think I know what's going on, but I, but I don't. I, I, absorb some piece of received wisdom that is, is not actually accurate. Um, and you know, it, 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 the experience of, of blundering through a, a world filled with strange and unreasonable and, and arbitrary structures or, or, or apparent facts or, or monsters is sort of, as I say, on, on some level, I think, realistic. And that's a really terrific uh, description of a lot of the experience of reading the Half Made World series. Now, as we've already kind of mentioned, The Rise of Ransom City is the second in that series. Uh, what do readers need to know about the Half Made World in order to make sense of anything that we're going to talk about uh, for the rest of the interview? 
Um, Artie, um, I, I hope readers can pick up Ransom City without having read the half Mobile. Um, and I, I, I think that is true. Oh, I, I, I wasn't. I'm sorry. That was what I thought. I wasn't queer. I was thinking of Half Made World as the, as the, as the series itself, not as the first yeah, round. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, they're they're both set in a um, uh, a world that is a uh, it, it's sort of the frontier. Um, it's sort of mostly the the American frontier. Uh, of the, the 19th century, uh, early 20th, it, it, it is. Um, it, it's not our world. It's it's not remotely um, our world. It's it's a a secondary world created out of um, tropes and factoids and and themes and, and little bits of of, of junk from um, our, our ideas about the frontier. Um, or the manifest destiny expansion of it's you know, but, but it, it's not um, again it, 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 it's not our world um, and the uh, there's a, a central conflict um, that is the Well, one of the central conflicts in the world is, is this sort of vast, ongoing um, war that is sometimes an, an ideological thing and, and sometimes a, a, a blowing things up thing um, between the, the line, which is um, a supernatural reification of, of um, industrialization. Uh, Modernization, authority, um, the, the the consumption of, of resources, and, and the, the uh, stamping of, of authority on, on on the wilderness, and and uh, and also takes the form of, of big monster demon trains, uh, and and the gun is the the adversary of that, and it's, it's uh, a, a, a Lawlessness, um, the the myth of the the gunslinger. Um, so you have, you have the gun, which is the uh, which, as you say, is the embodiment of the lawless of lawlessness, of the myth of the gunslinger, of the um, anti-hero who challenges authority at every turn, uh, and the gun works through agents who uh, literally have guns who are inhabited by these demons, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and and the line, as you said, is um, is the forces of modernization, rationalization, and they are they're they're emblematic. Uh, their emblematic thing is are the engines, who are themselves also inhabited uh, by the demons who who control the line, and they've been fighting a war across this frontier for for how long? Since long ago, mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember my timeline at this point. But of course, none of the characters can remember either. It's it's always been going on as far as they're concerned. Yeah, um, there, 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 there is a, a timeline mm -hmm. um, and it's been going on for um, a couple hundred years um, and somewhere in, in 
across the books, I think there was, there was enough information to indicate the actual timeline um, in sort of snippets of stuff that I, I, uh, I can't remember. I, I have a, a chronology somewhere that I tried to work out to make it all more or less make consistent sense. Um, but uh, some things I, I like to make make consistent sense and some things I don't. And one of the sources, of, or one of the things that's ambiguous throughout the books is that the characters routinely in various ways or come back to the theme that, you know, did the demons come thus causing the war between the line and the gun, or the demons something that humans made themselves? Um, which obviously works to kind of, at, at this level of kind of fantastic ambiguity, but also seems to function as a metaphor for the ways in which social forces which we create have this um, have this character that that we lose control that individuals lose control over them uh, and become subject to them and and I assume that was a deliberate move on your part. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's that's absolutely deliberate. Yes, and, and we um, it is as you say an, ambiguous exactly how all of this got started, but but it's certainly clear that. Um, to, to whatever extent people were involved at the start, these these things have become social facts that are just now out there outside of anybody's control, um, and you just have to deal with. And one of the things that happens recurrently in various shapes and forms throughout the books are efforts by individuals uh, on the frontier where this war is being worked out to carve out separate space or neutral space or alternative space, which is not often not dominated by demons, but by sort of individual or collective self-determination of humanity. And one of the major examples of this that drives some of the narrative is the Red Valley Republic. So I thought you might tell us a little bit about that. Right. That, that, that is, um, at, at the start of the, the first book, The Half-Made World, um, the, the Red Valley Republic is... Um, It, it, it's the previous generation's um, failed attempt to, uh, to to establish a um, a, 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 a democratic union of, of sorts, or, or at least a, a sort of a, a mercantile union. Um, but it, it, it was it was the it, it was our characters. The, the, the preceding generation for, for the, the people of the half made world there, it was their grand old cause, their, their, their great um, failed uh, something. Uh, and, and it um, briefly it, it, it originates in a mercantile accord between a bunch of, of small states. The, the, this is a, a, a Fragmented frontier in which there are all sorts of different kinds of, of political um, political groupings and, and, and little states and, and little quasi-feudal states alongside other stuff. And, and this this is an attempt was an attempt to 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 carve out some sort of, of, of union there, and then it it, it, it falls apart. And, and um, how it fell apart and, and what their um, Secret weapon might have been is is um, part of the, the MacGuffin that 
that gets the plot of the first book going. Um, but but they are um, sort of constructed out of, of elements of, of um, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, um, and bit, bits of the, the myths of both and, and feelings about both are, are, are attached to attached to them. Um, One of the I'm sorry, go on. But, but, but yes, they, they have a, um, a, uh, a set of, of um, that they're very concerned with, with modern democratic principles and, and principles of, of, of Republican virtue um, and, and how one can construct a, a functioning virtuous state. Um, the virtuous Republican state uh, and uh, the Republican, not in the not Romney sense, but you know, in the, the political uh, theoretic sense of Machiavelli yeah. and all of that crowd. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, and uh, and so they have uh, um, well, they 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 were defeated and, and, and scattered 25 years before anything starts in the book, but but remnants. Um, of that appear on frontier, and, and they've gone a bit weird in their, their generation of the wilderness. But, you know. but we, we, you give us a strong sense that that on the one hand, you know, they have these principles that that are kind of frontier republicanism, individualism, uh, dem, small d democracy, but they're they're kind of blowhards about it too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and and I think one thing that you know, we, we only see in the book directly the uh, what's left 25 years after they, they were beaten. So um, I, I think it's it's an open question that you know I that, that I don't know the answer to um, what it was like in its heyday. Um, but but yeah, well certainly what what we see 25 years later is is um, is blowhards. Um, or, or people who who have um, who have started to to adopt um, to adopt their their parents' generation's tradition as as holy fit, um, and it, it started to make them get a little bit weird. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that's wonderfully disorienting about the Red Valley Republic, and thematically this extends throughout the entire way in which you cobbled the world from the flotsam and jetsam of our own. Uh, is the way in which the Red Valley Republic, you know, gives you the myth of the lost cause, gives you that key element in the traditional Western of these soldiers who fought for an ideal who are now stranded out on, on the West. On the other hand, that ideal, despite the kind of blowhardiness that we've talked about, you know, has more elements of the American Revolution, right? This is, this, they are an anti-slavery uh, grouping. They aren't, um, they aren't, the, you know, they aren't, a perfect mirror of the Confederacy. And, and that whole kind of way in which you, you take the elements of the traditional Western, but mix them up in novel configurations, and just enough so we can say, aha, these are the key mythological elements of the Western genre, but they're not the way we expected. I thought that was really powerful and really cool. Thank you. Um, I mean, yes, that, that that's th throughout books um 
that that I'm I'm constantly trying to, as you say, take um, bolt bits of this stuff together in in odd and surprising ways that that um, makes it uh, a little, little bit unclear how you're supposed to feel about parts of this. Um, and re reflect you know, uh, in the half-made world and, and in particular in, in Ransom City, you, you've got characters who, who are centrally concerned with, with fashion and identities for themselves by picking up little bits of, of mythic Flotsam and Jetson. Um, and uh, you know, they're, they're, everyone is engaged in that same pursuit of, of trying to, to make sense of this rather confusing world that they're in by picking up scraps of stuff that they sort of recognize and, and fashion it into a, an idea of the world. So, so just to keep score, we have the line who is fighting the gun, we have the remnants of the Red Valley Republic, and their remnants are almost more important as myth and cause than as any discrete individuals. But you also have this group of people floating around, first folk, um, who, you know, are sort of, on the one hand, kind of like the stand-in for Native Americans or Aboriginals, but on the other hand, they're really not. Uh, they're very strange. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Um, so, so they they are the uh, the first the the the, the people who were there first. Um, and you, you can't frontier story without the people who, who were there first. Um, or you can have a frontier story, but it's not a not one that really reflects on the world at all. Um, they are in no respect um, very similar to actually existing Native Americans of any kind. And maybe a tiny little bit uh, reminiscent of, of Australian Aboriginal cultures, but only the tiniest little bit and only by accident. Um, they, they, they are uh, you know, they, they, they are the, the first people, the, 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 the displaced people, um, but they they don't correspond to any actually existing um, displaced culture, um, which was uh, we, we one of the reasons for that is is that we don't see them through, uh, themselves. Through, through their own eyes very much at all. Um, we see them through the eyes of the uh, the other characters who are all uh, one way or another the, the uh, part of the, the, the expanding um, whatever you would call it, culture. Um, and the world is escaping. Um, because colonial is not the right word. Well, I mean, they are engaged in colonialism. I mean, this is one of the things that people, that we kind of mask about the American expansion, is that it's a colonial process of plopping down little cities or little towns or little economic communities, and then slowly or sometimes more rapidly displacing, killing, corralling, controlling the indigenous population. So I think it's fine to say that this is a colonial enterprise. Yeah, you're, 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 you're right. I was, I was, 
I was thinking there was some nuance in the word colonial that was not quite right. Um, but I can't actually articulate what I feel that nuance is. Well, so I'm probably imagining it. Well, maybe, I mean, that is, one thing to note about the Western migration, or no, it's not even Western, I'm not sure, the, the migration into the half-made world uh, is that it's not centrally directed. This is not a state enterprise, as, at least as you present it. So maybe that's it? Um, yes, that, 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 that's part of it, though. Did none of this make, no, none of this made it into the final books. Um, <laughs> Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> it, 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 um, I, I had some stuff that I, I was trying to use somewhere, um, and if there's ever a third book, I, I, I probably will, about the initial mm. um, expansion, um, in which it, it, it is indeed state-directed, mm -hmm. and, uh, and the ways in which it is state-directed, and I think... Um, Probably none of that made it anywhere into the final book, and mm -hmm. um, so you know that's not helpful. Um, but uh, but that 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 was that was how I was thinking about it. Um, so we do have so we have the first folk who are are kind of this literalization of all the different kinds of Western imaginary of indigenous peoples. Uh, but then we have some actual characters who matter a great deal. And in the first book, uh, they are Liv, uh, whose last name I had written down, but I can't find Alther. What is Liv's uh, last name? Uh, Alva Heisen. Alva Heisen, who is a psychologist who's come from the old world. And then John Creedmar, who is a, a really wonderful character, uh, an agent of the gun. Uh, who Who is... Um... Who is in fact also from the old world, but, but hmm. long, longer ago. Um, because of course he's very old. He's, he's old. Um, or, you know, he's, he's in his 50s, I think, which mm -hmm. is, is old for a professional gunman. Um, so he's, um, he, he, he is a, as you say, an agent of the gun. He is a uh, would be retired at the beginning. Um, a, a a gunslinger type, a a a, a fast talking gunslinger, um, and uh, somebody who who has spent his life um, and spent his youth trying on various glamorous causes of, of various kinds, and, and ends up fashioning himself into a. Uh, an iconic, uh, fast-talking, gun-wielding, wild west crook type, um, but also he, because he's, he's he's part of this 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 cause of, of, of the gun, he, he gets called into into service, um, and then he and the cross paths um, not very happily. Um, and uh, get caught up together in, in this uh, this business of uh, hidden something. Um, this involves uh, a, a a general who is the, um, the the military genius, the the, the, the George Washington of the uh, 
the public and who is now very, very old um, and uh, also mad or damaged. So they are the chief characters of the first book, but the second book actually focuses on Harry Ransom, um, a very different character. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Right. So, so Harry Ransom is um, a uh, he, he's he's a salesman. He's a, a businessman. He's a a, a would be rags to riches story. Um, he's a uh, a kid from a a crappy little town who has um, maybe possibly invented a wonderful uh, free energy machine uh, and he's and then the book starts he, he's touring around the small towns of the frontier trying to, to drum up investment and, and interest and enthusiasm for, for his uh, his wonderful wonderful invention and, and He's he's, he's, a, he's a kid, and this is where he's going to, to really start his his brilliant glittering fortune. Um, he's uh, on, on the one hand, um, he, he wants to be a hero. He wants to be a, a great and wonderful person who will bring this fantastic gift to the world because he's, he's a wonderful genius, he's, he's an idealist and, and an utopian. On the other hand, he, he wants to get rich, he wants to be powerful, he wants to, he's, he's got a head full of um, business propaganda um, uh, stories about uh, rich men making their fortunes in, in, in the big cities. Um, and so he's he's out there um, getting into adventures and trouble um, and blowing things up, and um, and he he this is not really a spoiler since it happens in the first fifteen pages or so, but he he crosses paths with uh, with Logan Creedmoor, um, and we see what's happened to them since the events of the first book and. Uh, who's chasing them and, and what's happening and, and because of that he, he ends up being caught up in, uh, in politics um, and that sends his, his ambitions off kilter and, and, uh, and he, he gets caught up in, in the great events of the war and um, ends up uh, well I, I, I don't say that he ends up well, so one of the wonderful things about this, I should mention, is that so he's, as you say, driven by this kind of Horatio Alger memoir story, you know, memoir literature. He's read it and vibed and taken way too seriously. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what we're reading is his memoir of a kind of um, rags to riches and back to rags kind of storyline. So there's this this great, as I think runs through the novel on so many levels, this great interplay or layering of themes. But I think for uh, he, he is many... to tell something too. I, he um, uh, say so, so it's told in the form of a memoir, but it's it's not just a memoir. He is um, again, he says this in the first few pages. Um, so it's just another spoiler. He after everything that's happened to him and everything that he's, he's trying to solve the story of and, and to, to, to 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 tell the, the great events of history that he's been involved in in in, in his way. Um, he is heading out west, and he's 
gathered a bunch of people with him and he's, he's trying to gather more and he's sending off these dispatches as he goes and then he wants to, to found a utopian something or other um, out there. And so he is, um, he, he, even as he goes and as he's trying to, to tell the story and to set everything straight and, and to, and, and he, he is, as I, uh, d- d- different readers have had different views on how untrustworthy he is. Um, and I think that it is open to debate how untrustworthy he's supposed to be, but, but um, for what the view of the author is worth, my, my view is that he's, he's genuinely trying to be reasonably honest about what's going on. Uh, and, and he is reasonably trustworthy. Um, but he's also trying to sell um, his vision of, of the future. Uh, and so it is a, and as you say, he's, 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 um, his, his, his memoir and the way he's trying to sell things um, is, is, a, is a mirror of the, um, the memoir that he grew up reading, which is um, a form of, well, it, it, it turns out to be not just metaphorically a form of, of propaganda, but actually literally a form of propaganda. Um, but I, I won't say any more about, about that. So one of the things that um, I think, so those of us who read very avidly The Half-Made World and waited for the rise of Ransom City uh, may find it disturbing uh, to have um, wanted to know so much more from the perspective of Liv and from Creedmoor, only to have a massive change in, in narrative perspective. You know, although we do find out essential information about them, uh, it was a shock. And I'm wondering why you decided to tell somebody else's story. Um, so, so one answer to that is um, I didn't want to write a, a middle book of a trilogy. Um, and uh, and I, I sat down and tried to do uh, the story of Liv and Creedmoor following on from what happened in the first book, and my heart was not in it. Uh, and I, I don't think it would have been uh, an interesting book. Um, there, there's, uh, you know, the news of the, 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 the the, the book that sort of just picks up and moves them on, it, 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 it wasn't working. Um, and part of that is because uh, as I say, I, I, I like um, I, I find it most interesting when the, the characters are not 100% on top of, of what's going on, um, and, and if you've got a, a great big world-saving, war-ending plot, um, which you know, which there is, um, the, the live and create more become caught up in the half-made world, and then is sort of is 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 moving forward um, in the background and, and sort of threaded through the action of, of the second book. Um, 
to write a, a direct sequel um, would have put all the focus on the uh, the core of what's happening, so that uh, we see it directly and we don't have any question about it, and we know that um, we are ambiguously, unambiguously, um, at the centre of what's actually going on in the world, and um, and in charge of it. And I cannot. That doesn't interest me. Um, so what 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 happens in the second book is uh, the the you know so since since we see it through, through Harry Ransom's perspective we, we are not um, we are not directly at the center of, um, of those events the, the, those things that the, there's a um, you know I, I wanted to sh to shift things to a a more personal story um, which you know gets involved in it, the, 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 the grand stuff of, of the war and politics and glory, but is, is ultimately more about um, one individual's rise, rise and fall um, with, with the grand stuff in the background um, happening, but we are not, um, we, we don't have that, that, that illusion of uh, being in control. Um, that's a, a somewhat rambling answer, but I, I think that 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 was why the shift in perspective. Um, and having shifted to Harry Ransom's perspective, um, which, as I say, was was sort of a it, it was an iterative process. Um, I started with uh, I started with a draft. Um, that was much more following directly on um, with uh, Ransom introduced as a minor character and over the course of, of revisions um, some stuff moved into the background and some stuff moved into the foreground and, and once I hit a tipping point and, and Ransom moved sufficiently into the foreground um, it made sense to, to write in his voice um, so it's in, it's in this first person memoir voice. Um, I hate it when authors talk about characters taking control. Um, that, is, that, is, that does not happen, but it but it does happen that when you go through a bunch of, of, of revisions, you find that some things work and some things don't. It's interesting to hear you say that because, as I mentioned, you know, my initial response was, uh, but um, you know, literally, uh, but. Um, yeah. As I got more into it, I really felt, you know, very strongly that that at the end of the day, this was the way to tell the story, and that it wouldn't have worked any other way. And uh, what you say dovetails nicely with my sense of that, because I, on the one hand, you know, if you follow Live and Creed more, they never, they couldn't pass into the kind of legendary status that's so essential to the entire workings of the novel, right? Right. Way, what you talk about is the kind of uncertainty, the way in which sort of knowledge appears and slips away, and that uh, collective memory and, the, and even forgetting plays such a key role in the way that this world works, and as you suggest, the way that our world works. But secondly, because it really subverts um, the standards of kind of the high fantasy uh, quest, right, or journey yeah. that um, in many ways you know, the whole books are riffing on, but in a Western setting. 
So, you know, to show us that there are other journeys going on, some of which, like Harry's, might be incredibly important to what happens in the world, even though they have a very limited perspective on it, many of which are probably, you know, not consequential to the workings of history, but are just as important, at least for the individual experience. And I thought that was really cool. I thought it was really neat. And I thought that it was one way in which the book, you know, is more than just a Western with fantastic elements or a fantasy set on a Western frontier. Yeah, no, that, 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 that is also part of, of, of why I wanted to shift the perspective. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, on, on, and on some level, had it, had it, had it stuck directly with, uh, with Living Creedmoor, um, the, uh, the structure of a a straightforward quest fantasy took over. I mean, in 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 the version that I, I was thinking of, where, where it was then, it becomes a straightforward quest fantasy with, with a tiny little bit of Western prepping. Um, because there's and there's really only one way of telling that story, and you know, Tolkien did it well. I I. I I like the 2000 Return of the King. I, I really enjoyed them, and nobody needs to do it again. Um, and I can't do it better. So, um, so, so this was uh, this was different, and, and this was how it worked. I I, um, I, I, I beg readers' indulgence for a change of perspective. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic that people will be okay with it. I mean, this this novel has been called, uh, or at least the first novel, a steampunk fantasy, uh, and I know in some of our pre-conversations we we mulled that over a bit um, and talked a little bit about about steampunk. Um, uh, I'm not sure how much I want to push you on that, but I do want to ask you about something that's been kind of gnawing at me, and I can't quite articulate it, which is that. It seems to me that there's something both there's something really interesting about creating a fantasy out of the elements of the Western imaginary rather than and I don't mean West versus East, but you know, the wild Western imaginary yeah. versus the standard high fantasy setting of swords and sorcery. And I know that not only are there precursors to doing this, um, but also there are more people who are now choosing to set, situate fantasy writing in the 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 imaginary 19th century um and the american imaginary 19th century of the west but unlike i think a lot of quote-unquote steampunk fantasy this is not a tech you know this is not a technology driven story well uh, that's an awful way of putting it this is a story which fundamentally owes its um sensibility to fantastic literature understood in the kind of high fantasy idiom, right? The enchanted world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I can't quite articulate it, but it must be kind I mean, it must be sort of both challenging and liberating and also really um, say something about what fantasy is to, to create this kind of a, a locale, this kind of a story. And I was wondering whether you've had any thoughts about what it means or what it does to fantasy to to locate it in this kind of a setting. And one thing that um, that I, I I think it can do that I, I hope it can do is is to um, 
to, to shift the focus of, of the, the fantasy from the idea of a uh, the lost world, the, 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 the medieval world, and decline to um, to thinking about um, a world that that sees itself as on the cusp of the future, um, building future, the British progress towards whatever, um, uh, and and uh, to Uh, and, and I think that's interesting to write about. I, I, I like that that sense of um, anything's possible. These are there are these roads that the future could could go down, um, and uh, and I think it, it helps us. I, I I don't I don't make any any grand political claims for fantastic fiction generally and it, it sort of grates on me a little bit when, when people talk about these things as, as though the justification for, for fiction has to be coming up with a, a rather improbable way in which it has some sort of political impact because it doesn't and nobody reads books anyway. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the potential political impact that, that you might have through, through your, your story is essentially zero because I got to interrupt you. It's a weird niche, niche habit. I, I disagree. Um, I, I think that um, if I think about most of my political beliefs, I think they were profoundly shaped by the novels, some of which were fantasy, uh, that I read uh, in my, my teens, for example. So I'm not sure that's right. The impact may not be, you know, a political manifesto that, uh, you know, drives a movement. But I do think that, that, the, that fantastic literature shapes the imaginary of many people in ways that has political ramifications for much of their life. But uh, I, I, that, that may be true. Um, I don't know. Um, but that aside, what, I, I'm sorry, because I, I now no, interrupted your train it, of thought. It's, it's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, 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 was, I was pausing to think about where my own I, I don't think my political views are that heavily shaped by uh, by fiction. I, I, I genuinely don't. I think my political views are, are much more shaped by uh, either non-fiction reading or, or primarily by the sort of people who I, I know and talk to and my sense of where tribally I fall. In, in existing political groups, but that is a, is an aside because um, I'm I'm looking around the stuff that I read as a teenager and, and you know I I, I like a lot of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and I don't feel very very influenced by politically. Um, I mentioned C.S. Lewis because I feel a big fan of C.S. Lewis books. So, um, but anyway, well, um, quite politically different, I think, than your own views. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, and, I, and, I, and I love C.S. Lewis, and, and I, I've got a pile of books here because I'm, the, the thing that I've just handed in is, is in some ways a homage to the, the C.S. Lewis, um, How to Decide the Planet, etc. books, which, which, I, which I love, but don't agree with. Well, but I'm thinking about, so, I mean, I... For, I I found the Perdane Chronicles uh, very uh, influential in terms of my basic moral compass, and particularly Tar and Wanderer. Uh, 
And I do think that for pe for a lot of a lot, some subset of people will probably never read about the Industrial Revolution, right? Or never read uh, any of the political literature that focused on the how, what to make of the social dislocations of the of the coming of modernity, whether that be Marx or um, in a kind of earlier form Smith or um, uh, 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 my, or, or Karl Polanyi. You know, this is their entry into a kind of um, set of political claims about what rationalization, industrialization, uh, uh, might, the production of, of new class relations, the ways in which people become serviced to uh, economic systems and to industry itself. This is a, a kind, you know, the books like this are a kind of entry into thinking about that or thinking about you know, what does it mean to romanticize the lone gunman? Is that really a kind of romanticization that's sustainable or healthy? Uh, and these books really do grapple with those kinds of questions. Um, it, 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 it's not impossible that a, a young person um, might have that, 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 that these books or, or, or any books might influence somebody's political thinking. I just... Uh, If that happens, I think it happens in, in unpredictable ways, um, and you never know what people are going to take away. Uh, I often get the sense, um, a lot of the, the political conversation around um, steampunk and uh, what, what steampunk politically has to say, this, this is a... a Probably a more complicated digression um, than we possibly have time for. Well, if um, we do have but, time, but, but, it's, it's not really a digression, I think. So uh, <laughs> I'd like you to uh, pursue it. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, but part of my skepticism is that I think um, there's, there's a lot of. Uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, the sort of fiction that, that talks about the 19th century and, and that gets heavily into. Um, how awful factories in the 19th century were and, and the awfulness of class relations in the 19th century and, and the terribleness of, of colonialism. Um, I, I never know whether readers come away from that sort of thing or whether people are talking about this come away from that sort of thing with a, a sense of, of having been on some level sort of radicalized thinking, oh, you know, the, 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 these are bad things, or whether the, the lesson that people come away with is, um, well, things sure were bad 100 years ago. Our great grandfathers sucked. Um, I'm, I'm glad we're better people now, and everything's fine. Um, and you know, and then they, they go away and they, they type that on their computers that are made out of the conflict materials. Um, and and you know, I, I, to, to, to the extent, and and that is something that I, I that that is something that I, I, I worry about when when writing anything that that. Was sort of set in the 19th century. You know, when I, when I express skepticism about the political impact of um, the fiction, um, I'm sort of taking the piss out of myself because I, 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 I one, one sits there worrying about this sort of thing, but on some level it is, it seems tremendously narcissistic to sit there at one's desk as one makes up these stories worrying about what you are teaching an imaginary 15-year-old 
um, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I think we have, we in, in, the, in the community, so to speak, um, I, I think there's often an, an inflated sense of um, the power of, of this sort of writing. Um, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, but um, on the other hand, stuff isn't worth thinking about. Um, but as I say, I, 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 I do think it's it's unpredictable. If in in the event that you have any kind of influence, it's very unpredictable what kind of influence it has, and, and readers read things against the grain and come away with, with different senses of uh, what you're trying to say. Um, unless you're terribly literal about what you're saying, in which case readers are just as likely to, to say, go away. So, I don't know. But what, um, but, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, what you are saying is a case against didacticism, right? But it's not, I think, a case against um, thinking about the politics of a particular constructed world or thinking about um, the possible political implications of telling a story. And, and to me, I, I just don't think you can get away with it, right? Because you've written novels and this series, you know, as well as your prior one, but this series, you know, is a novel that sets out to dislocate you know, very fundamental themes in uh, not just American identity, but the identity of the modern West. And it does so in a way which maintains uh, constant ambivalence, which to me is sort of what I wanted to, to kind of push you for, and you've already alluded to, you know, which I think sets it apart from a lot of the, the attempts to work with the politics of the 19th century in a number of the, you know, the very large number of books that are now tackling or setting things in the 19th century. No, 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 I, I, I agree, and, and I think you, you've got to... No, I mean, if, if you're writing anything that, that, that touches on anything political and, and, and essentially anything that you might be writing does, um, it's important to making the book work, and, and that's important even if nobody's ever going to see it. Otherwise, we might as well not bother. Um, yeah, we, we, I think we, we got off on, on, on this discussion about whether this it, it, it is realistic to think in terms of this actually impacting people, which I'm, I'm not sure whether it does. Um, but I do think it's important to, to think about it, because that, that's the book that you're writing. So, I'm, skeptical. I, I'm, I'm surprised when anybody reads anything at all. So. Well, I mean, regardless of the, the question of impact, though, there is this sort of question we started out with, which is, you know, what does it mean to set fantasy not in the ancien regime, uh, but in the period of the emergence of modernity? Um, and what does it mean to um, explicitly, you know, turn social facts uh, into uh, magical demonic forces? Uh, and what does it mean to try to transport a set of genre expectations about what fantasy is into a realm that, you know, isn't the foundational realm for those tropes. Um, and I, I think that these books just are wonderful at 
at working through that, those kinds of, of themes, even if at the end of the day, and maybe it's all for the best, you know, it kind of leaves uh, an engaged reader thinking, I'm not quite sure what to make of this. <laughs> right. Um, not very much. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about fantasy. Um, uh, and and I, I, I don't want to single anyone out, but, but I mean, uh, most fantasy that is, is nominally set in the Middle Ages is in fact really set in the 19th century anyway. So, um, well, that's really interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Because I've, I've never heard that before. Maybe it's more common than I realized. But. Um, just the, the, the uh, well, I'm thinking here of, of, of your classic standard big fat fantasy or, or, or your fantasy video game where everything is, is set in, you know, you, you assume that every city is big enough to support a thieves guild. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this this is really dickens um the 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 to the extent the world in which these people live in which it appears that everybody has flush toilets um is not in fact the 1950s um it's it you know it, it, it's a little bit of the 1950s it's a little bit of um and, and you know i i, I I'm, I'm not knocking it it's it, it's fun i i enjoyed skyrim um but it, it's. I wasted way too much time in Skyrim, but anyway, go. On. It's terrifying. Well, because the awful thing is, you you have to play it through Steam, and Steam tells you how many hours you've played. I uh, see. I have an Xbox. So. Oh, you see. Okay. So if it's on a PC, you have to play it through Steam, and Steam every time you load it up tells you how many hours you've played. Yeah. And it's just it, it's the most unpleasant feature. I don't know why they do it. Um, but anyway. Um, but you know, but 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 that 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 world in which you know. Not really a, a medieval world. It's not really a, a medieval worldview, and, and you know, people are. I, I, you know. So it's said in the nineteen. So when you say that that all high fan, not all obviously, and now we have you know another realm of conscious pushback against high fantasy tropes. Um, no. But um, well, when you Tolkien's say, not. Tolkien's not. Tolkien is is. Um, you know, the, the, the the mental world of his characters is is the mental world of, but it's 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 a very foreign, very distant mental world. And if you're reading about characters who seem to be sort of recognisably quite a lot like you, um, you're not really reading about people living in anything that remotely resembles the the twelfth century or whenever it is that. So when you say nineteenth century, you you mean that you know you sort of have uh, the scale of urbanization in the 19th century, you have still features of the wild, untamed uh, march, uh, and you also have characters who are hybrids, right, who have a kind of combination of the, of, of being able to, to recognize the old look, look, this sort of old world and see it as, um, as normal, but also have increasingly modern outlooks or outlooks that would be recognizably our own. Is, is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah, but I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. But then when you make it explicit, all sorts of cool stuff happens, right? Because then you have, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your, your, your dragons are not, are not 
steam your dragons are not stand-in for steam engines or gunboats or whatever they are steam engines or gunboats or heavier than air machines or what have you and your magic swords are not um you know uh, blades that are enchanted they're they're guns that that are retrospectively a kind of magic because of their lethality and their their ability to make an individual into a killing machine uh much like the sort of hero of the high fantasy of the high fantasy novels so you know it it just does really interesting things to that to then take that but now start to think really seriously in a way that these books do about what it means to really be on the cusp of modernity and and the 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 kinds of attitudes that produces and the kinds of of both um horrible things and wonderful things and things that are terrible in the classic sense because they are wonderful so it's pretty awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's fun. I, I, I like, um, you know, I, I, I think it is, a, it is a fun place to, to protect books. Um, uh, and and I, I like the, uh, that, 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 yeah, the, the sense of the future. Well, as, as listeners can tell, I think these books are great. Um, they're some of the, the best books I've read in a long time, and I, I tend to say nice things about everybody I talk to, and I tend to like a lot, but I really, you know, when I agreed to do this gig, uh, interviewing you was one of the things that I wanted to do, uh, and I'm glad it's worked out, uh, and uh, I guess um, also, I hope it's not premature, there's going to be a book forum on Rise of Ransom City on Crooked Timber in the future, isn't there? Um, I, I, I think so. Well, that should be... Um, yeah, I, 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 I've heard that they're trying to, to organize it, and I don't know where things stand. But... I've been trying to muscle my way onto it, so. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hope so. It would be really cool if it happened, but I'm, you know, I, I don't know. So um, after I've done singing the praises of these books and telling you, you must go out and read these now, and even if you find them a bit odd and disconcerting, that's what makes them so terrific, I do want to ask you to come back to what you mentioned at the very beginning, which is that and I, I hope this didn't make talking about these books difficult for you. You have a new book that's finished. Uh, that's oh yeah, and, and maybe uh, you could give us a taste of what that's about. Um, yes, it, it, it is. Um, it, it's set in something which is more or less the real world. Um, it is uh, again 19th century. Um, it, it, it is. Um, it, it starts among. Um, 19th century occultists um, and, and uh, sitting around meditating their way through the, the, the planets um, and, and it, um, it uh, straight up lifts a scene from um, a, uh, a wonderful book uh, a, a, a history by uh, Alex Owens um, uh, called the Place of Enchantment, um, which which has uh, a discussion of, of um, the 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 overlap between um, astronomical you know, excitement about astronomy and excitement about Mars and and excitement among uh, uh, the fashionable set uh, uh, over. Um, the occult and, and telepathy and etc. Uh, and it, it starts from there and uh, it, it, it is uh, 
it, it, it is a kind of magical travel to, to Mars book, um, which is why uh, I got a big pile of C.S. Lewis stuff on my desk and also uh, Olaf Stapleton and etc. etc. So that and and um, and 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 please, I think. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it, and I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. This, this was fun. Right. And uh, hope we can do it again sometime. I hope so. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. You've come to the end of another episode of New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy. This podcast, featuring Felix Gilman, was recorded on 17 October 2012. Thanks for listening. So long. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.